Praise the Lord. Uh, we are in a moment in time. The Bible says that there's a season and a time for everything under the sun. And while there is turbulence in the natural, I believe that triumph is awaiting for those who would seize the moment in the spirit realm. Uh, the Lord has made it clear to me as the hearts of the millennials and young people in general have been stirred to action that the church is going to be given another opportunity. People are going to return to church but they will only stay at churches where their voices are heard and real needs are met. And so I believe that the job of the church right now as we seek direction from God is to prepare for the influx of people that are going to come looking for spiritual answers and that we would be prepared to have difficult conversations and to be made uncomfortable. I am very encouraged by the uh, Zoom uh, gathering that the Christ Strong Men at New Direction had this morning. I caught some of it and it was such a blessing just to hear the passion and the desire of the men of God uh, to hear from God and to be difference makers. And so, brothers, thank you for the words that you shared. And I look forward to being able to join the Christ Strong Men on next Sunday uh, for further discussion about the issues that are transpiring in our world and in our community around us. Thank you, Brother Tim, Deacon Tim, uh, for praying for your pastor today. Uh, now I feel like I'm official uh, that um, you, you called and you, you lifted me up in prayer. So thank you, thank you, brother, for that. I want to thank uh, uh, all of the members of the church who joined on yesterday in the celebration of our graduates. And I'm, I was so happy to be a part of that and to enjoy uh, this very life-changing, momentous experience with our college graduates. If you are unable to participate, uh, you can still encourage our young people by sending a card or some other expression of love by way of text or a phone call or even a monetary gift. So feel free to be a part of something that will make a tangible statement about your love for them. Now I invite you to turn in the word of God in Acts chapter 10. And I'm going to be reading, uh, starting in verse 27 of Acts chapter 10. And I'll tell you ahead of time, I have more sermon than time. And, but this is a powerful word. Go call somebody, encourage someone to be a part of this. Uh, this is we, one of those life uh, transformational messages uh, that God has given me from the very throne of heaven. In verse 27 of Acts chapter 10, the Bible says, Talking with him, Peter went inside and he found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against the law of the Jews to associate with Gentiles or to visit with them. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I sent for you, so when I, so, so I was sent to you, I came without raising any objections. May I ask you why you sent for me? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we bless you. We bless you that you are at work 
and that we have an opportunity to be a part of what you are doing in the world. We are in a time of international and national change. And God, I'm believing you for a spiritual revival. God, you have stirred the hearts of men and women, boys and girls, and they are looking for an answer. And Father, I believe that you have already provided the solutions for man's problems in your word. May your church be ready, ready and willing to give an answer to every man who asks a reason of the hope that is within us with fear and in trembling. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. <clears throat> now, as I watched the thousands of protesters march around the world uh, to make their voices heard, uh, to denounce social injustice and racial inequality, the Lord placed on my heart a word that usually has a negative connotation. The word that he gave me to describe the protesters is disruptors. Disruptors. Normally when we hear that word, we automatically assume that somebody's creating a problem, that there's something that shouldn't be happening occurring and it's a violation and, and it's out of uh, the ordinary and therefore should not be occurring. But before you draw the wrong conclusion about the word, let me define it for you. A disruptor is a person who isn't afraid to make waves. Someone who is constantly pushing the envelope to do things better without worrying about how things have always been done. Let me say that again. A disruptor is a person who isn't afraid to make waves. Someone who's constantly pushing the envelope to make things better without worrying about how things have always been done. The church is at a critical place in history. And what we need is some disruptors. <laughs> we need some folks that aren't afraid to make waves. Some people who are committed to pushing the envelope for the sake of the kingdom to make things better and who are not bound by this is the way we've always done it. And that should not be what we are expecting in our return. We're not returning to what we've always done. God has changed the, the climate. God has changed uh, 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 the, the field of play. And so we need to prepare ourselves for a different type of battle and a different type of strategy. And speaking of a different type of strategy, we will be contacting the, the members of uh, New Direction and, and also reaching out to our partners to share with you in the very near future what our strategy uh, for turning, returning to the building is. We do have a plan and we will be contacting you uh, with further information. Now, one of the most effective methods that God uses to motivate us to grow spiritually and to forward the, the kingdom's agenda is to make us uncomfortable. He uses disruptors to rock the world, to get us out of our spiritual rocking chairs. In fact, one of the main ministries of the church in the world is for believers, when we are being the church, we are being divine disruptors. Every time Jesus, Jesus ministered privately or publicly, publicly, he disrupted religious establishment. 
and man-made traditions that was followed by the masses. Every time Christ opened his mouth to teach, he was disrupting something. When he healed on the wrong day, according to the religious establishment, healed the wrong person from the wrong zip code. When he fed people who were hungry on the wrong day at the wrong time from the wrong side of the track, the religious establishment had a problem with Jesus. Jesus was a disruptor. Christ came to rock the boat, not to maintain the status quo. Listen to the words that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 36 to describe one key aspect of his ministry in the world. In verses 34 and 36, says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be members of his own household. Jesus Christ was a divine disruptor. The church of Jesus Christ has been left in the world to finish what Jesus has started. If you're a believer, you have been called to be a divine disruptor. Thank God for divine disruptors. What the protesters are doing around the world and in our country is something that should be characteristic of things that the church is doing as a routine. We are constantly going up against the very kingdom of heaven and the gates that he has erected against the plan and purposes of God. We are an army on the move. We have been called to be divine disruptors. Thank God for that call. In Acts chapter 10 verses 9 through 48, and we're not going to be able to look at all those verses, but I challenge you, one of the most Pivotal chapters in the entire Bible is Acts chapter 10. And it's about racial relations. And as I've said in the past, they're not multiple races. There's one race, the human race. But because of how we have been indoctrinated and how our minds work, I'm going to use that term to refer to the distinctions that we make about people based on external characteristics, namely the color of their skin. In Acts chapter uh, 10, uh, the church needed, uh, God needed the church to make a cataclysmic shift that would totally transform the world from the first century until the 21st century. What occurred in Acts chapter 10 still impacts the church today. Until now, the growth of the church and development did not include a major segment of the society. Gentiles, non-Jews, were excluded from being full-fledged members of the Jewish, of Judaism. And at this time, they had not been fully embraced into the Christian uh, faith. Though those who were walking or following Christ who were known as followers of the way. Gentiles were still outside looking in, hoping to get invited to a seat at the table with other Christians. And non-Jews were viewed because they were Gentiles as inferior and unclean. The word Gentile in the first century actually was synonymous to dog. Uh, Gentiles were called dogs and that had more to do with how they were viewed spiritually and what their essential nature was. They were viewed as unclean, unpure, common, and 
inferior and, and those two will be avoided unless they expressed a desire to be proselytized into, into Judaism. And even when they were interested in becoming a part of the Judeo faith, they were never fully accepted on equal terms as Jews. So the account that is recorded in Acts chapter 10 occurs in two separate cities over a period of several days. And what is seen in the natural reminds us that God does disrupt our routine. As, as God is working in the, in, the, in, the, in the spiritual realm, he will use natural things to disrupt our routine to get our attention to what he has already accomplished in the spirit realm. And if God did not disrupt our ordinary routine Monday way of doing things, we would never be aware of what is transpiring in the spirit realm. Now, here's the first thing that I want to consider with you regarding God as a disruptor. And we're going to see that we, as I've already mentioned, we're disruptors as well. God uses divine disruptions to alert us to what he is doing in the spirit realm. Now, <clears throat> I've already shared from uh, Hebrews chapter 14 that God says, I'm going to shake the heavens and the world will know that, that I am God and they will reverence me. And so I believe what God has done by allowing the coronavirus, allowing social unrest, allowing an economic uh, a, uh, an economic collapse in terms of, uh, of the recession that we're currently heading towards is that God has used this visible manifestation of his displeasure to get our attention because of a spiritual problem. Stay with me. We're going somewhere. And in, in, in chapter uh, eight, uh, chapter 10, verse three, uh, this is in the city of Caesarea. We read one day about three in the afternoon, Cornelius, a centurion, uh, had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. And then verse four says, Cornelius stared at him in fear. He was afraid. And he asked the question, what is this, Lord? What is this, Lord? Now, for openers, let me just kind of briefly tell you who Cornelius was. The Bible describes him as a God-fearer, a God-seeker, a devout man. He and his family were very uh, committed to uh, uh, Judaism. Uh, they gave, he gave large sums of money uh, to assist with the building of temples and to support Jewish efforts. Uh, he believed in the Jewish Old Testament. Uh, he was a centurion who was in charge of a Roman cohort, which means that not only a centurion meant that he was a, an officer in charge of a hundred, but he had six regiments. And so that means that Cornelius was a military officer who was in charge of at least 600 men. And so he was a man of prestige. He was a man of, of, of resources. He was a man of, influ of affluence. People knew him. He was well respected. But what, did, what he lacked was, in spite of his credentials, according to his nationality or ethnicity, he, had, he wasn't the right color. He still didn't fit in. Uh, when he came to the synagogue, he couldn't go into the same place to worship where other Jews. He had, there was a special place designated for Gentiles. Now, while it was acceptable for the Jews to take uh, Cornelius's money, he did not have the same freedoms and standing in the church because even though it was really about his ethnicity, the way it was considered during that time and how we look at it, we would say that Cornelius was discriminated against or treated in an, a partial way because of the color of his skin. He was the wrong race. He was from the wrong group. He was one, a wrong, the wrong set, social and uh, 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 part. he was run from the wrong part of town. And because of that, 
He could come to church. He could live in our neighborhood. He could drive nice cars. We could speak with each other and even work for the same company. But you would always, no matter how much you earned and how many credentials you had, you still, you still ain't none but a Gentile. And, and if you try to get got, try to get funny with that, we might even put our knee on your neck to remind you that, yeah. We talk with you. We even party with you. But you ain't one of us. And so that was his standing in the synagogue. And yet, in spite of that, he continued to believe in the Bible of the, Jew, uh, of, the, of the Jewish faith. He believed in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. He continued to attend. He continued to be faithful, much like African-Americans for, for many years in, in America during slavery. Blacks uh, uh, adopted the Christian faith, even though we were never accepted as equals in the churches that converted us to Christianity. Now, how did God address the status quo, which did not agree with his divine program? We know that God is not partial. He's no respecter of man. Uh, we are all equal. There's neither Jew or Gentile or Greek or Scythian. When it comes to the human condition and our need for God because of sin, when God looks from heaven from us, we all are sinners in need of salvation through the blood of Jesus. And so, uh, God addresses the status quo, which was routine. Nobody was uh, uh, having protests and riots and uh, or anything of that nature. This was something that was accepted. Cornelius was cool just being in the building. A lot of the things that have transpired before there was a George Floyd uh, were going on behind the scenes that people weren't talking about. We were just existing and knowing these things were happening, but nobody really got so uh, 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 upset and, 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 and enraged that, we're, that what we're seeing now occurred. And so he, he used, what God does, he uses God, divine agitation to disrupt our, our routine. On, the Bible says on, on a regular day, about three o'clock in the afternoon, God totally wrecked Cornelius' life forever. That's what God does. And I believe what we're experiencing right now is a moment where we can't move forward. We can't close our eyes. God has shocked us into an awareness that is repulsive, that is abhorrent, that is unacceptable, that something has to happen and in terms of racial equality and social injustice. And this was the kind of experience that Cornelius, who was a Gentile, considered unclean, unpure, unfit, uh, uh, inferior. He had that kind of experience on a regular day of, at work. Now, what's interesting that here's a divine disruptor. Here's, here's how God did it. The Bible says that an angel appeared and when Cornelius saw this angelic messenger, all he could do was stare. He, whatever he was preoccupied with and engaged in, when the angel showed up, Cornelius was just so stunned, he was unable to do anything. But the Bible says, here, here's where the evidence of disruption is, is, is clear. The Bible says that this military leader, this captain, this, this centurion, he became afraid. I want you to know when God wants to get our attention, whatever it takes for us to be forced off of the road to turn our attention to what he has already determined in the spirit realm, he will do it. And so in this case, what God did, and I believe what has happened in our country, an angel hasn't appeared. And God knows that uh, George uh, Floyd was not an angel. But what God has done through this horrible situation is that he has caused this country to, to, to stop and, and uh, allow this to be a sobering moment. In fact, some people are, are, are literally 
shivering in their in the privacy of their homes in terror. God will use an angel or he will use fear to stop us in our tracks to get our attention. The angel was the divine disruptor. And I'm reminded, <clears throat> there's an account when you get an opportunity. In Genesis chapter 18 and 19, the Lord uh, uh, reveals to Abraham that he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of their, their sin, the sin of, uh, the, that he's going to destroy the city. And so he said, I'm not going to hide this from my servant Abraham. And so he sends, he says, I'm not, the angel of the Lord who is the pre-incarnate Christ. There were times in the Old Testament when Jesus, the son of God, would take on human form and he would enter into a, 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 a human experience to do a specific assignment for God. In this case, so the angel Lord, Jesus Christ, appears to Abraham. And he says, I'm going into the city with another angel and we're going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. So he gets to Sodom and Gomorrah and the cousin of Abraham is there and his name is Lot. And the reason why the angels go there is that not only are they going to destroy, but they're going to deliver Lot because of Abraham's prayer. How many of you know prayer works? Abraham prayed that the Lord would not destroy Sodom, uh, would not destroy Lot and his family while they were still in, in the city of Sodom. And so he goes and the angels are actually, the angel of the Lord God is in Lot's home. But he is so comfortable with his routine of accepting evil, accepting godlessness, uh, and, and, and being silent about it. Now, I heard someone say that silence is really violence. That he was not aware that God was in his house. That's what carnality would do. That's what religion will do. That's what routine and being comfortable with, with, with status quo. It will make you callous. It will make you blind to the spiritual realm. It will prevent you from seeing the hand of God at work. You'll see the riots, but you won't see the righteousness of God activated through the hearts of people who have reached a point where they say, I'm not going to take it anymore. God is saying he wants justice to flow like a river and righteousness like a mighty a mighty ocean of water God is at work and so while Lot was unable to see God's hand in what was happening he attempted to deal with the, the, the social problem of these homosexuals who were forcing their way into his house. Lot tried to handle it. And the, and the men of the city said, if you don't get out of the way, we will do worse to you than we're going to do to your daughters or do to these angels who are visiting. And then what the angel had to do, what the divine disruptor had to do to take control of the situation, he literally grabbed the arm of Lot and pulled him in the door. And he blinded those who were forcing their way in. And they kept trying to get in in spite of their blindedness. I want you to know what God will do to make us aware of what he is doing in the spirit realm. Is that he will send disruptors. He sent the angel of the Lord to disrupt Lot's routine way of thinking and going along with what God hated until his eyes finally were opened to the fact that God was in his house. I want you to know that in spite of all that's going on and how it's being handled, and I'm not supporting violence and, 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 and movements that don't it can include the word of God and ultimate, but I do believe that the hand of God is in this and what the Lord is doing is he's using these events in such a way that disruption is occurring and the church of Jesus Christ that has been asleep is now awakened and the door of opportunity. God says, I have set before you an open door and now the church needs to be prepared to walk through the open door equipped and ready. To meet the needs of those who were in the same predicament that Cornelius. He was considered inferior, unclean, less than. Those are the people that are crying out today. And the angelic disruptor was God's instrument 
to awaken Cornelius to what God had already set in motion in the spirit realm. Here's the second thing. God uses divine disruptions to get us to do what we would never do. There's some things that we need to do that we would never do that if it wasn't for George Floyd, if it wasn't for the COVID-19 pandemic, if it wasn't for the threat of losing our job and some are already laid off, if it wasn't for the 140,000 140, Americans who have lost their lives, there are things that the church would have never done that we're doing right now. Just like Satan said, as my wife sent this uh, little uh, really uh, 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 thought that captures the moment, Satan said, I've used COVID-19 to shut down all the churches. And the Lord responded, no, I've used COVID-19 to open up a church in every house. And so what God has done is forced the church, many churches, that keep crying, let's get back in the building because you can't have church unless you're in the house of God. And no, no, no. The church is not the building. The building is where the church meets. So now the church is doing things, I'm doing things, you know, through social media that I would have never done if God had not disrupted my routine. Listen to what Peter had to do that he never did. The Lord said, Peter, the Bible says uh, in verse 9, Peter went up to the roof and he prayed and he became hungry and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheep being let down to the earth in four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And the voice told him, get up. Peter, grub down, kill and eat. Peter's response, surely not. No, no, I ain't eating no swine. I'm not eating any unkoshered food. I'm not eating anything that, that is not a part of the Jewish dietary acceptable menu. I've never eaten anything unpure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and each time Peter would respond, I'm not eating anything that is unclean and unpure. I've never done it, and I never will. Now, the seven last words of a dying church is that we've never, we've never done it this way before. The seven last words of a, of a, of a devout Jew is we've never eaten pork and never will. Peter was agitated by the situation. That's why he said three times, I ain't eating it. How dare you? It's repulsive. It's disgusting. It's unclean. It, it, it goes against everything that makes me Jewish. How I ain't putting my Jewish lips on no Gentile chitlins. I ain't going down to no hood to be marching and protesting and talking about Black Lives Matter. They unclean. They're savages. They don't really want anything. They just look at them tearing up their own neighborhood. I'm never going to go down there. I'm going to continue to believe what my parents and their parents have taught me about African Americans and people of color. I'm never going to change. What God is telling you and telling me, as he told Peter, he was asking Peter to do something he had never done before. And he would not have done if the disruption of something repulsive, something out of the ordinary, something that Peter uh, despise if God had not put it in front of him if what we're seeing transpiring through the protest and what we looked at two weeks ago with with the death of George Floyd if we haven't hadn't seen it with our own eyes we would not be moved to do something that we've never done before I want you to know Christians that we need to be willing to do what we've never done before to accomplish what God has yet to accomplish. What is God telling you to do that you've never done before? 
Is he asking you to call a white co-worker and pray with them and pray for them? And is he saying to you, uh, the people that you call your friends uh, in your neighborhood uh, that you have barbecues with and they happen to be a different color, is he saying to you, this is the time to have genuine conversations about what really matters? Is he trying to say to you that it's okay to be honest that you're not okay? It doesn't matter that you live in a nice neighborhood and drive a nice car until you understand how God views you and we are able to communicate that to others that God is no respecter of person, that we're all the same. We all have the same uh, origin and DNA. So is God asking you to do that? Is he telling you to forgive someone who violated you as a child? Is there somebody you need to forgive? Now, I'm not saying that that person shouldn't, some, shouldn't be somewhere in jail, locked behind 10, 10, 10, 10 locks. But I'm saying that sometimes what someone has done to you in the past, something that you've never done before that you need to do because God, the Holy Spirit, is a divine disruptor, is saying to you, in order for you to really experience, the Bible says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. You haven't lived in liberty. You haven't known real joy. You don't know the peace of the Lord. You haven't really been able to celebrate and praise God without any inhibitions because there's something that God is telling you to partake of, telling you to do something. Yeah, you, he's let this, this vision of that person has been tormenting you. You've got post-traumatic stress syndrome over this thing. Every time you think about what happened to you, it, it, it's, it's as if it occurred again and again. What God is saying to you, I want you to eat. I want you to partake. I want you to do something that you've never done before. God is the divine, divine agitator. Is God telling you to purchase groceries for someone who's a total stranger? I was really blessed when I heard uh, what Brandon and three of his, two of his friends did. They, they uh, opened up a GoFundMe uh, account and, and people just donated all kinds of money for them to purchase water and drinks and gloves and masks. And they did something that they had never done before. And by the time the march was over in, in Wilmington, uh, there were things that were left over and uh, praise God, Brandon was so moved by the divine disruptor that when he went to the car wash, he was still giving away Gatorades and water and mats. How about what God will get us to do if we're willing to respond to his disruption in our spirit to do what we've never done before? Is God calling you to an adopt to adopt a child that you didn't bring into this world? So many children are being raised in foster care in a system that causes them to grow up bitter and feel like they're unloved. It's God asking you as a man to take time and mentor some of these young African-American boys who don't have father figures because their dad's in prison. Is God asking you to do something that you've never done before? Is God telling you to shut down your social media platforms, to spend time in fasting and prayer as you seek direction about what he specifically wants you to partake of that is uncomfortable for you, that you would not otherwise do. And the only way that you're going to know exactly what that is, we are, we are hell-bent. We want to do something. Let's get involved. Let's change the world. But no, what is God saying? Before Peter was given any direction and marching orders to do what it was that God had already determined in the spirit realm. And it's interesting that God didn't give Peter all the specific instructions about what he should do because if he told Peter everything he needed to do, Peter probably probably wouldn't have done it. He wasn't he did he wouldn't have thought he was ready. We're never ready to do what God wants to do when it's something that we've never done. We 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 got all kinds of excuses when it goes against what makes us comfortable? Now, why did the Lord ask Peter to do something he never had done? One, the reason why God asked, wants us to do things going forward that we've never done as a church, never done as husbands or wives in our families, in our, in our interactions with others, with people of different colors and different cultural backgrounds, 
is because God wants to show us that our thoughts are not his thoughts and his ways are not our ways. We don't think like God when it comes to others. We prejudge people and draw conclusions with limited information. We exclude people. We don't give them second chances on our own. Now, our renewed minds can, can think the thoughts of God. But one of the things that God is revealing when he disrupts our routine is to show us we don't think like him. And so when we talk about racial inequality and social justice, and we need the mind of God. What does God say? about how he reviews those who are created in his own image and likeness. Here's the second thing. <clears throat> Here's why God may cause us to do things that we've never done. He wants to stretch our faith by challenging you to obey, obey when you don't understand or agree. We're trying to figure it out. We're trying to understand it. That's how my mind works. I want to know how this is, what the, what the potential is, what the specifics are, and how much time it's going to take, how much money it's going to take. I'm trying to calculate this thing. And God said, get your butt in motion. Get to stepping. He didn't explain to, 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 to Peter. And so sometimes the things that God is burdening your heart, that's keeping you awake at night, that's causing you to cry, that's causing you to, to just be tormented in your thoughts. What, what God is trying to say is what I'm putting on your heart is what I want you to move towards, whether you can understand how you can afford it, how you can fit it into your schedule, how much time and effort it will take. No, God is saying, keep moving in the direction of the burden that I put in your heart. He's trying to stretch our faith because we don't walk by sight. We live by faith. God also wants to reveal what he's already accomplished in the spirit realm. God had already set the wheels in motion for the doors of the church to be open to an entirely group of, a new group of people that had been otherwise and up to this time excluded. Peter had no real knowledge of what God was already doing. There are things that God has already done in the spirit realm that we will never see until we're agitated and disrupted by the spirit of God to be made uncomfortable. He's already done it. He's already made a way. He's already provided every provision that is needed, but we can't see it like Jesus said to his disciples when they saw him talking to a Samaritan woman, a, a, a half-breed at the well, and, 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 and she went and did what they hadn't done. She went back to Samaria and told all the men, she said, come and see a man who told me everything that I had done. And when they heard her say that he told her everything that she had did, everything that she had did included them. And so when they heard that, they wanted to see this man that she was talking about. And so as they are coming out of Samaria to the well where Jesus is and his disciples are somewhere on planet Pluto, I wonder where he got something to eat. He don't look too hungry right now. I wonder if he got something to drink. I didn't see him with a cup. How did he do all that? And Jesus said, look! Look to what look at the spirit realm. You say three months from now and the harvest will be right. He said, No, we don't have to wait three months. He said, Look, lift up your eyes, for the harvest is white. And he was talking about the men from the city of Samaria that were coming. And he said, The problem is not with the harvest, it's with the laborers. We need to be disrupted. The Lord had to jolt the disciples and say, this is not about uh, uh, somebody's religion and their, the color of their skin and their ethnicity, ethnicity or a quote unquote race. This is about the kingdom of God and souls that need to be saved. Lift up your eyes. See the spirit realm. But the only way that we can, sometimes because we're so accustomed to being comfortable. We don't want to be awakened out of our sleep. We don't. We want our side of the bed. We want to watch our TV. We want to be able to use our remote. We want to have everything in place. And God is saying, I want to push you to the other side of the bed. I want, in fact, I don't want you to sleep tonight. I'm going to trouble your sleep. Tell, make your pillow feel like rock. God is trying to get our attention because all around us in what we are watching before our very eyes, the spirit of God is at work. And what he wants to do, he's already accomplished in the prophetic future. He's already done it. 
We just need to see it with the eyes of faith. Now, how does God use divine agitation to move us from the place of stagnation and comfort? How does God do that? I'm glad you asked. One thing he does, he disrupts our, our religious routine. Peter went up to that roof to pray. And he said, you ain't praying today. Nah, no, no, no devotions today. I, I want to take your prayers. I want to change your words in prayer to worship. His, his, his words became an experience of worship. He was going to talk to God. God said, no, I want to have a worship experience. So he had, God gave him a vision. I want you to know that God will disrupt our routine, spiritual routine, our religious routine to bring us to a place of worship. I believe that God is bringing the church to a place of worship. I believe that God is bringing us back to a place of calling on his name and anticipating his answer. God is bringing us to the place where we recognize, Lord, if you don't do it, Lord, if you don't move, if you don't give an answer, if you don't set this thing straight, if you don't bring this mountain down, oh God, it won't happen. God is using his disruption in, in our spirit by call, to cause us to change our routines. God, he is disrupting our thought life in order to expose our prejudice and partiality. He is disrupting our, our thought life to expose our, our prejudice and partiality. When Peter saw the, 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 the food, the meats that were being uh, let down from heaven on the sheep, the way he thought about it was based on the Old Testament dispensation. Jews were not allowed to eat those foods that he was being told to eat. But that was the old way of thinking. In the New Testament, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9 that everything you pray for, whatever I created by way of me, it's clean. Just pray over it. So what God was exposing for Peter and exposing for us during this time is the way we've thought about people of color needs to change. God is, is exposing our hearts of racism, our hearts of prejudice and bias. And this is not just restricted to people who happen to be white. Blacks can be prejudiced and biased and, and discriminatory as well. And God says, so when Peter looked at Gentiles, he saw them as unclean. So God says, whatever I call clean, don't you dare to call it despised. God wants to change the way we think. Not only does that, God, he wants to disrupt our thought order to expose our prejudice, but he also wants, God wants to disrupt the words that we use to change what we say about people. When Peter answered the Lord, said, no, nah, I'm not eating that. I'm, the way I think about that is based on the way I was taught, my old thoughts. But not only did Peter's was his thoughts wrong, his words were wrong. He called it unclean. He called it dirty. He called it common. He said it was inferior. It was beneath me. And so what the Lord is doing through, through this disruption is causing us to recognize that some of the things that we say in private about people of different colors, and we say about people that are part of our own ethnic groups that what he calls clean, you don't need, don't you be calling your sister and brother out of their name. Don't you be calling your sisters and brothers everything but a child of God. You, we need to change the way we talk to people. The Bible says that the power of life and death and what is what you say. What are you saying to your children about whites? What are, what are you saying to your children about people who live in the inner city of Wilmington? I actually remember uh, uh, during this uh, 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 vacation Bible school and uh, some of the kids that came came from uh, some of the upper uh, upper middle class homes in Wilmington who went to church in, in Philly, they were asked to pray and thank God for, for something that he had done for them. And one kid prayed, I thank you, God, that I don't live like ghetto kids. <laughs> and he, he said, My, we live in a nice neighborhood. And so he was being honest, so, but where did he get that terminology from? What did it make him think that somehow his place of residence gave him some kind of advantage or uh, 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 superiority to those who lived in a different neighborhood? 
I want you to know that God wants us to change the way we talk about people, the way we think, the words that we formulate, and, and, and we're texting and emailing each other, and the, and, the, and the funny jokes that we use about people of different colors and ethnicity. God was using the disruption to change how we talk, how we think, and to change our religious routine. Here's the third thing. We're almost done. God uses disruptions to confirm his word and his will in our life. While Peter was still trying to figure this out, men from Cornelius were knocking on his door. <laughs> and Peter comes, and the Holy Spirit still had to say, Peter, the men that are knocking on your door, you answer the door and you go with them. The Holy Spirit, divine disruptor, said, you go with them. So what God will do as he's causing this uneasiness and this 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 burden on your heart and, and and forcing you to deal with stuff that you haven't dealt with and how you think and what you say and your religious routine has been interrupted what God will do he'll confirm his will and his word by while, while it is yet happening in your mind God will bring it to pass by physical and tangible evidence the men knocked on his door and said there's a man named Cornelius praying in the city of Caesarea, come and go with us. And Peter, Peter immediately went with them. And so God will use the disruptions, the divine disruption to confirm his will and his word in our lives. Thank God that there's things that we were resistant to do, that we were hesitant and, and, un, and, and, and unsure about, but because the burden was clearly there and the open opportunity was there, we obeyed God. And then what God will do when we are obedient, he will confirm that we're doing exactly what he intended for us to do. Now, let me finish with this. God uses people as disruptors to proclaim his word and to release people from the bondage, from bondage, from bondage, to become all that they were created to be. Now, none of what transpired beginning in verse 27 of Acts chapter 10 would have occurred if Peter wasn't willing to be a disruptor. In verse 29, he actually says this. He says, you know it's against the Jewish law for a Jew to come into a Gentile's house. But because God said so, I'm, I'm, I'm going to break man's law to obey God's law. He became a disruptor. And by obeying the word of God, Peter ended up being ushered into a situation where people who were of different background, ethnicity and, and financial and, and what they would have said different race. He was able to speak to them the, the word of God concerning Jesus. And Cornelius and all of his household and every single Gentile gathered at that setting got saved. Peter became a disruptor. John was a disruptor. In, John, in Acts chapter 4, after John, Peter and John had prayed. You remember the story of the man who was born, who was born, uh, uh, who was born uh, lame and he couldn't walk. He was at the, outside the temple gate and he would beg for money. And then Peter and John went in and they saw him. The man was reaching out for money. And Peter responded, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, I give unto you. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And the man got up and walked. Not only did he walk, but he started to dance and shout and praise the Lord. He went into church. I want you to understand, when you've been lame, when you understand that sin makes us lame, that sin paralyzes us, that we were born in sin and trespasses and separated from God without a spiritual pulse. When you recognize that he didn't have to do it, but he did because of his mercy and grace, we're not consumed. When you get to a, 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 a full comprehension of that, it'll make you dance. It'll make you shout. He went into the church and he was praising the Lord. Everybody was excited. Isn't this the dude that used to be at the gate begging? Isn't this the person that was strung out on drugs? Isn't this the one who didn't have any future? Isn't this the one who was uh, Riding and but look at him now. Look what happens when Jesus comes in. And when the religious authorities heard what they had, the, the, the apostles had done, they called him in and they beat him and they threatened him. They didn't have a problem with the miracle, but they said, when you leave here, don't you ever, you can have church, you can have praise and worship, you can have uh, uh, the, the biggest choir, the biggest budget, the largest buildings, but don't preach in the name of Jesus. And John says, 
We see you, but we hate to be you. We're going to preach Jesus. We have to obey God rather than men. I want you to know, if you're going to obey God, you will be a divine disruptor. You are going to be an agitator. You are going to be someone that goes against the grain. Because the Bible says, how can two walk together unless they agree? Come out from among them and be ye separate, said the Lord. Be not, oh, you're going to be a disruptor if you are controlled by the Spirit of God to be obedient to God. Stephen, uh, the, the first, one of the first deacons was a disruptor. The Bible says as he told the Jews that were gathered uh, uh, and the religious leaders about what they had done, they had crucified Jesus. And he read, rose from the dead. The Bible says that they became so angry and enraged, they literally covered their ears, but he kept on preaching. He kept on teaching. And the scripture says they, they took him outside of the town and they began to throw bricks. And as the, the life was leaving his body, he looked up to heaven. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And he said to Jesus, as he prayed, he said, Lord, do not hold this to their account. I want you to know that, that Stephen the deacon was willing to be a disruptor, even if it cost him his life. The Holy Spirit is a disruptor. Any true friend, thank God for friends who will tell you the truth. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. But many are the deceptions of those who pretend to be your friends. You need people that will be honest with you, not going to let you continue to just be um, uh, mediocre and mundane and, and just going through the motions. We avoid people that call us out. We avoid people that don't uh, go along with the program. We shut them down. We don't even answer their phone. We don't respond to their text messages. But God said that iron sharpens iron. How are you going to get better if somebody don't tell you what you can change? The Holy Spirit has placed into our lives friends that love us enough to tell us the truth. Thank God for disruptors. Thank God for people who are willing to get into the trenches with you and tell you what you need to do to get better. Thank God that you can be a disruptor in the life of your child. God said to parents, train your children, be a disruptor in your children's lives so that when they grow old, they will not depart from you. Train them up in the way of the Lord. We've been called to be disruptors. You ought to be a disruptor. You ought to be a disruptor, divine disruptor. Some years ago, as an early Christian, I was a part of a singing group. And this is, comparatively speaking, uh, this, this was a transformational experience in my life. I was a part of a program, and we sung, and we did a great job. And then after we were done, a lady named Norma Anderson approached me. I was a student at Cheney State University, president of a Christian group. And uh, at that time, she was my discipler. I didn't know what a discipler was, but she was the one who spoke into my life. And, and one of the things that she said to me that I found very humiliating and uncomfortable, she said to me, Tony, you don't know the Bible, do you? And I, I spent a whole two hours with this group singing and, and, and misquoting scripture. <laughs> and if my life depended on it at that time, if you said, tell me where the four gospels are, Peter, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, my, you would just have to pull the trigger. I didn't know. Now, she had enough courage and love for me to tell me I, as a man, young man, did not know the Bible. And the truth was, I did not. But she didn't just stop with the criticism. She gave me a handout of Bible verses. And she said, I want you to learn. She circled about 20 of them. And I, during the Christmas break, so I, want, I wanted to impress her. I'm going to show her. I'm going to make her know. Hey, call me out like that. I'm going to learn all 20 of these verses. And I got to studying and memorizing and committing the scriptures and hiding the word of God in my heart. Before I got done, oh, what am I, about 200 verses. I memorized them all. Now, I started off with the, doing the right thing for the wrong reason. I ain't going to have nobody, no woman call me out like that and put me on, you know, blast in that way. I'm going to show her I learned. No, no, no. God's word got a hold of my heart. The divine disruptor used a woman to tell me that I needed to learn scripture. And guess what? If she hadn't said that, I don't believe I ever would have went to seminary. I don't believe I would be in the pastorate today. I don't believe that I'd be the person I was today. But because she was willing 
to rock the boat, to go against the grain, to make me uncomfortable, to push me forward to being better in Christ. I am the person I am today. And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, you ought to have somebody in your life who can make you uncomfortable. Somebody in your life who can speak to you as a divine, divine disruptor so that we will not miss an Acts 10 experience. We will not miss the Cornelius' opportunities in our life that are before us right now. We need to be willing to hear so that we can do what we never did before. To reach the Lord, to please the Lord at a crucial time. The church was made for this hour, but we need to respond to the divine disruptor and we need to be willing to speak the truth of love to everyone so that we can become all that God wants us to be. Let us pray. Father, we love you and we praise you for who you are. We thank you that we have all that we need in Jesus. You promised, oh God, that if we ask that you would give us an answer, we seek, we would find. If we knock, the door would be open. We're trusting you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord.